Yasas. Welcome to Greek Like Me, the podcast about all things Greek for Greeks, Hellenophiles, and anybody who's interested in learning about other cultures. I'm your host, Pamela Diotis Wood. Email us at stealthgreek at gmail.com to share comments, questions, and stories about Greeks, Greekness, or your own ethnic background. First, a trigger warning for this week's episode. There are brief descriptions of horrible deaths and suffering in the raising of a city with a population of over 400,000 people. It's not an episode for children or those especially distressed by these kind of events. This September commemorates the 101st anniversary of the destruction of the city of Smyrna in 1922 by the Turkish military. This catastrophe occurred nearly a century after Greece became an independent nation free of Turkish rule. Today, known as Izmir, the city sits on the western edge of Anatolia, had once been a Greek settlement founded in 1000 BCE. It was invaded repeatedly over time, and it was finally lost in 1453 when the Ottomans conquered the Byzantine Empire. But it continued as a center of trade and commerce with a Christian majority and good relations for the most part between Christian, Muslim, and Jewish residents. The history of Smyrna is long and rich and complex. Today, we're going to honor the men, women, and children, mostly Greek and Armenian civilians, who died during the massacre of Smyrna, those who suffered forced death marches east, deep into Turkish territory, and the refugees who suffered horrors and deprivations that haunted them for the rest of their lives. The atrocities committed that September and in the years leading up to it are still large in the memory of the Greeks, Armenians, and Mediterranean Jews from stories passed down by surviving surviving family members and the many witness statements and newspaper accounts on record. It's a vivid example of generational trauma, uh, like those suffered by Jews remembering the Holocaust or Native and Black Americans living under the shadow of institutional racism since our country was founded. Greek reporter says the raising of Smyrna, quote, was a cataclysm of such serious importance for modern Greek history that it shaped generation upon generation after 1922. Greeks and Armenians had lived under systemic brutality, slavery, and religious repression throughout the 400 years of the Ottoman Empire, followed by a ruthless ethnic cleansing campaign under the nationalist Turks who replaced the Ottomans. Like others, we've had to continually face the denial, rewriting, and mocking of that history. We want to make it plain that we're not condemning the Turkish people. We have many cultural connections to them and their beautiful heritage. They're more than neighbors to the Greek people. They're kind of like cousins. But like other ethnic groups we mentioned, government leaders, including current nationalistic screwballs there and here, continue to drive and support racist policies throughout uh, using propaganda and fear Deluding people by twisting the facts, demonizing people not like them, blaming the victims of racist policies for their suffering. We can't accept this as Greeks and Armenians, and we should not accept it when it's done to others. That would be called hypocrisy. Okay, we'd like to get into a basic understanding of the Smyrna situation before the Turkish army struck and the aftermath. Smyrna was known as the jewel of the Mediterranean. Greek reporter says Smyrna was undoubtedly one of the wealthiest cities, not only in the Ottoman Empire, but of the whole of Europe. 
and was a financial, trade, and cultural center of Asia Minor from the 4th century BC Hellenistic period right up to 1922. It was beautiful, prosperous, cosmopolitan. Greeks, Turks, Armenians, Jews, and the descendants of Europeans then called Levantines or Levantines were the largest ethnic groups. Levantine usually refers to people from the Levant, a region of the Middle East, but in Turkey from the 16th to the 19th century, European descendants of longtime residents of Turkey were called Levantines. The Greek population of Smyrna was double the population of Athens in 1922. They dominated in manufacturing and the educational system. Greek influence was still so strong in the city, Turks commonly refer to it as Smyrna of the Infidels. The Levantines were the wealthy elites with generational dynasties running international trading corporations. They had special agreements with the Turkish government, giving them an edge over the competition. There was an Armenian quarter that had prospered in trade and banking, a Turkish quarter, a Jewish quarter, and an American quarter. Smyrna was considered a paradise, with its Mediterranean climate, beautiful theaters and opera houses, and a shopping district that rivaled the most opulent shops in Europe. The wealthy from Europe and America flocked to Smyrna for vacations, business deals, and to impress their friends. After the Greek War of Independence in the 1820s, most of what was originally Greek territory until the middle of the 15th century remained part of Turkey. Everything on the eastern shores of the Aegean to the borders of Russia and Iran. The empire included current-day Syria, Iraq, Israel, Jordan, Kuwait, Egypt, Libya, Algeria, even after it had lost control of its European territories. It was enormous. But things were going downhill for the already weakened Ottoman Empire. Anti-monarchist leaders were already controlling the government, and they supported the wrong side during the First World War. After armistice, the Allies were set on punishing Turkey, as they did the other so-called central powers, Germany, Austria-Hungary, and Bulgaria by disbanding armies, demanding reparations, and the greatest humiliation, taking away territory. Greece was late getting into the so-called Great War. At first, the Greek government was divided by its own civil war between the German sympathizer King Constantine, supported by the royalists south of Greece, and the pro-allied British, French, and Russian forces, um, Prime Minister Eleftharos Venizelos, uh, who is backed by northern Greece. Constantine was ultimately forced to abdicate along with the crown prince. His second son, the more allied forces friendly Alexander, succeeded him. To entice Greece into the worldwide fracas, the British and French promised formerly Greek lands would be ceded back from Turkey if the Greeks entered the war on their side. The British and French were planning to seize some nice chunks for themselves, of course. Venizelos had long had dreams of creating a new Greek empire that included the repatriation of all the lands lost to the Ottomans hundreds of years earlier. Venizelos deserves a podcast of his own. When World War I ended, the Allies, particularly the British under Prime Minister David Lloyd George, encouraged Greece to move in on some of its former territories, including Smyrna. Lloyd George was living in his own fantasy world of redrawing borders, a disease that seemed to have affected Great Britain over centuries and caused unbelievable suffering to millions of innocent people. Think Israel and Palestine, India and Pakistan, much of the African continent, 
Don't get me started. The Treaty of Sèvres was signed by Turquier in August of 1920. It basically tore apart the Ottoman Empire, divvying up large parts to England and France and offering a few nice little bits to Italy. England and France wanted to get their fingers into mineral and oil-rich regions of North Africa. Greece would regain control over former territory in the Aegean Islands, a presence in eastern Thrakia and western Anatolia. The Greek part of the deal included a stipulation that Smyrna would be occupied by the Greek military for five years while still under Ottoman sovereignty. After the five years, the Allies would decide if Greece would take possession permanently. It was too tempting for the Greeks who remembered the suffering their ancestors under Ottoman rule and the nearly two million Greeks still living in villages throughout Turkish territory who'd been suffering the purges at the hands of the Turkish military since 1914. So. With Allied backing, the Greek army is running all over western Anatolia with the intent of taking back territory. They're already entrenched in Smyrna, which kicked off a three-year Greek-Turkish war where many civilians on both sides were the real losers. But Venice Samos and his crew are feeling pretty cocky. Two of the greatest world powers, England and France, are telling them to go for it. Then there's another twist in the story. The Ottoman Empire was already crumbling before the Great War. Revolutionary nationalists had been taking increasing control over the government. The new Turkish nationalist government under Mustafa Kemal abolished the Ottoman monarchy after the war and refused to recognize the Treaty of Sèvres. This was technically a new government, technically. The First World War had just ended. The British and French people were tired of war. And the Turkish nationalists were willing to keep fighting to protect Turkish interests in Anatolia. Wouldn't it be better to keep the peace? Especially when England and France feared losing access to the riches they'd been hoping for? The French recognized the new Turkish government in 1921. The Brits were left to discipline the Turkish army on its own. They reconsidered making Turkey stick to the treaty and decided to play nice with Kemal instead. By this time, the Greek armies were already moved into their agreed positions deep inside of Anatolia. The Treaty of Lausanne ultimately replaced the Treaty of Sèvres. In it, Kemal traded Ottoman claims to Arab oil fields for the territory the Allies had offered Greece. So the military incursion by Greeks into Turkish territory, which was hotly pursued by eager Greek politicians backed, literally pushed by European powers, suddenly lost European support. After they'd already installed themselves in what the Allies now decided was Turkish territory after all. The Allies had changed alliances after the fact. Nice. It benefited the money bags in Europe and America. So the European and American governments declared neutrality as Kemal tore after the Greek army. Was the Greek army above reproach? There are stories of things that were done retribution for the suffering of the Greeks. Mankind has proven itself capable of this over and over, but nothing was orchestrated. There was no seal of approval from the Greek government. There was no order coming from the Greek government. And nothing could excuse what happened next. Going back to the start of World War I, long before Greeks entered the war themselves, pamphlets calling Greeks traitors in, in a Turkish land responsible for economic problems, lost battles, and so on were circulated throughout Anatolia, including the city of Smyrna. Giles Milton, in his book on Smyrna, Paradise Lost, quotes one. 
Greece is the enemy of our religion, our history, our honor, our patrimony, and above all, our very existence. Unquote. Not the French, English, and Italians who hope to divvy up the empire. Destitute Greece with its small army and struggling people. American consul George Horton describes later Turkish-produced news sheets that, quote, represented Greeks cutting up Turkish babies or ripping up pregnant Muslim women in various purely imaginary scenes founded on no actual events. He goes on to say, a series of murders began in Smyrna. Greek peasants going into their vineyards to work were shot down from behind trees and rocks by the Turks. The nationalists were demonizing the Greek population several years before Greece entered the war or infiltrated Turkish territory. Okay, back to post-war. Now that the Treaty of Sever was off, without any opportunity to pull back its troops ahead of time, the Greek government was told it was back to its pre-war borders. Kemal sent his troops throughout the new Turkish Republic into Anatolia, cleansing villages of infidels, as he put it. Entire towns of Greeks and Armenians were wiped out, the inhabitants tortured, raped, and executed. What was left after looting was often burned to the ground. Survivors escaped towards Smyrna, where ships could get them to Greece, unless they were forced to march into the interior of the country, where they were massacred or used as slave labor until they dropped dead. The majority of Greek and Armenian men in the region who escaped the initial slaughter died this way. The Greek army retreated from Asia Minor, finally even beating a retreat from Smyrna. The residents of Smyrna had no intention of resisting the incoming Turkish army. They'd been caught in the middle to begin with, as some of its Turkish residents had been killed or harassed when the Greek army had first moved in. Idiotic retaliation for the persecution of Greeks in Anatolia, which was Turkish government policy, not the responsibility of Turkish residents of Smyrna. According to EuropeCentury.eu, the Greek High Commission convicted 48 Greeks back in 1919 for these crimes, as well as a handful of Armenians, Turks, and a lone Jew for participating in the violence. Smyrna had been known for generations to be a city of gentility and commerce, and the residents wanted to keep it that way. They considered themselves Turkish citizens, descended from Turkish citizens. They were ready to comply with Turkish rule. The well-liked Turkish governor of Smyrna had remained in power throughout World War I. Smyrna was still a sovereign Turkish city that took direction from Constantinople, which wouldn't be renamed Istanbul until 1930. Even during the occupation of the Greek army. After the Greek army cleared out, followed by thousands of escaping residents who didn't trust the new powers that be, the nationalist troops of the Turkish Republic entered Smyrna on horseback on September 9, 1922, calling out to the people to have no fear. What happened next was the most calculated, horrific destruction of a city in modern times. Dozens of ships lay in at the harbor, belonging to the British, French, Italian, and American navies. They sat and watched. They watched as deliberate fires were set, as civilians were shot bayoneted, raped, and mutilated on the streets. Turkish mobs, stoked by years of propaganda, literally tore apart Greek nationalist Bishop Chrysostom, who had pushed hard for the Greek repatriation of the city. Milton's take on the Allied powers and the refusal to involve themselves is, quote, those governments displayed a shocking callousness, choosing to abandon the refugees to their fate 
in order not to jeopardize the chance of striking rich deals with the newly victorious Turkish regime. So there is no interference, no comment whatsoever from any of those European governments, which was like giving the Turkish soldiers in Smyrna free reign to do what they pleased. The fires burned for days. Kamal declared the burning of Smyrna was, quote, a sign that Turkey is purged of the traitors, the Christians, and of the foreigners, and that Turkey is for Turks. It reminds me of the Proud Boys. As Smyrna burned, the European and American Navy watched, and I'm going to keep using that, watched, as hundreds upon hundreds of terrified citizens made their way to the harbor, begging for rescue. Many dove into the water to escape the flames and the violence, and many, many drowned as the Allied navies sat and watched, ordered not to intervene because of their neutral position. Dozens of ships from the Allied military watched as thousands of non-resisting citizens, including many children, were tortured and murdered or drowned in the sea trying to reach them. The exception was a Japanese merchant ship that we'll mention later that saved many people. Survivors lingered at the port for days hoping for rescue and were picked off at night by Turkish soldiers. Upwards of 200,000 refugees were eventually transported to Greece by the Greek military. According to Near East Museum, between 50,000 and 100,000 Greek and Armenian people died from the fires and accompanying massacres. The numbers aren't exact because many people were literally cremated in their homes or businesses. An unknown number died in the sea while trying to escape. And the Turkish army was not letting people snoop around the ruins. This horrendous catastrophe is burned into the minds and souls of the Greek people, as well as Armenians and anyone else with a heart. Even now, 100 years later, we carry the scars, the generational trauma, largely because the Turkish government refuses to acknowledge what happened. It takes turns blaming Greece or Armenia and occasionally Jews, claiming Greeks or Armenians set the first fires in the Armenian quarter and then the Greek quarter, even though countless witness statements of European and American civilians and reporters were recorded stating Turkish soldiers had been seen starting the fires. A number of respected Turkish historians researching Turkish documents and eyewitness accounts from that era have supported those facts. We're collecting their publications for a future episode on Smyrna. And the trauma continues because Turkish school books ignore the suffering and deaths of the people of Smyrna, as well as the Greeks who suffered and died from the Great Purges. By some estimates, up to one million Greeks between 1914 and 1922. They're taught, we asked for it. I see frequent comments on social media by trolls identifying as Turkish people making comments on GreekGenocide.com saying things like, let Greeks swim. It's sick stuff. By a minority of idiotic nationalists, like the sick stuff posted by our own American deniers of our history of racism, lying and denying doesn't mean it didn't happen. Survivors of the initial purges in Anatolia had poured into Greece and into Smyrna, and the survivors of Smyrna poured into Greece. Every Greek has been touched by this catastrophe, as every Jew has been touched by the Holocaust. 
Over time, we'll add more pieces to the giant puzzle encompassing the destruction of Smyrna and the Greek and Armenian genocides in Turkey. But today, we're going to talk to a direct descendant of a survivor, someone who grew up hearing bits and pieces of her mother's story of survival and suffering. Helen Vardakis and her late husband, E. James Vardakis, may his memory be eternal, welcomed Ed and I to the Greek Orthodox Church we call home and became Ed's godparents when he converted to Orthodoxy. She's been our friend and family ever since. She's devoted her life to her church and its many charitable activities, including the choir, where Jim was choir director for many years. And she's a witness, passing on the stories she was told growing up so younger generations will never forget. As we spoke, Helen mentioned the port of Chisme several times. This is a port near Smyrna where travelers took ships to the nearby Greek island of Chios and from there traveled to the Greek mainland. She also mentions the seven churches. These were seven Christian churches said to be founded by St. Paul in the first half of the first century in Southwest Asia Minor in what is now Turkey. Smyrna and Philadelphia, the original home of Helen's family, were among the cities where these churches were located. Most churches in Turkey were destroyed during the purges, so I don't know if any are still standing. If they are, they were likely gutted and now function as museums. Helen, first of all, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Um, I've been hearing bits and pieces of the stories over the years, but I think it's really important that a larger audience hears the stories, because just hearing the history isn't enough. This is a story of basically your mom's family in Smyrna. Can yeah. we have her name and her age? She was 12. Her name was Hariglia Hizanoglu. Um, she had uh, six brothers. She was the only girl. Mm. And they left in 1922, in September. The catastrophe. Huh? The time of the catastrophe yes. in Smyrna. Yeah. Yeah, my, grandma, my grandmother was in the hospital. She had some kind of an infection, and my grandfather took her out, and they went to uh, the, uh, with the, the, the Smyrna seaport, mm -hmm. and uh, they got on a ship to go to Chios. And my grandfather put my grandmother in the uh, hospital in Chios, and she p passed away there, and she was buried there. Mm. We, I tried to find her, but they moved all the people from Asia Minor. They had not taken them out. In about 15, 20 years ago, they did take them out and put them someplace. So they moved the graves. The graves, yeah. because they wanted to make a um, uh, playground there. It was a big piece of property. So they, but this time, again, I tried to find her, and I just couldn't. And I find out at the airport when we're coming home that they had an exhibit at the Mastica Museum of Asia Minor. And the curator or the manager of the uh, library in Chios knows all about this. So there's a friend of my son's that um, I have to call mm -hmm. and he will tell me if I can get in touch with him to find out where they're buried because they moved them. I don't expect to find my grandmother. I just expect to find where they are. Where and they if are. they if find where everybody else is, she's with them. There were a lot of people that a escaped. A lot of people Smyrna. died at that time. Now, how? <coughs> this was before the actual <coughs> attacks began, I guess. You knew something was coming? 
Well, they, uh, they had started slaughtering people. They were already there. They were already there. The, this is the Turkish this, army came Yeah, in. Turkish army with uh, Kamal at the Turk. Mm -hmm. He was the head of it. Mm -hmm. uh, they lived in, in harmony for many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, not years, uh, centuries. You could tell that. And um, then he came along and wanted to have an all-Muslim country. So he slaughtered the Greeks, the Armenians, and the Jews, the Assyrians. Mm. The, the Armenians, they have acknowledged, uh, Turkey has acknowledged it. But we, the Greeks don't press it that hard that they did slaughter all everybody. Mm. They don't press it as hard as the, uh, as the Armenians did. Mm -hmm. So they, they, uh, they acknowledge that they did something to the Armenians. Yeah. But anyway, it's, you know. So they, <coughs> your family was still there and your grandmother was in the hospital when the Kemalist troops came in to seize Smyrna. Uh, probably, I'm not sure. But I have the, uh, uh, the movie, Smyrna is as uh, a, a destruction of a cosmopolitan city. That's the documentary. It's a documentary. Mm -hmm. And in one of the pictures towards the end of the movie, there's a picture it's all pictures, and at the end of the picture, my uncle, the oldest one of my mother's family, he was 17, was on that ship, and he was standing up, and everybody is sitting down, and I know it was him. You could see it's him, yeah. the way he stood and the way he, he looked, and my grandfather never remarried. He had seven children. The youngest was two, and the oldest, 17. Oh, wow. He put some, uh, he put two of them, I don't know which two of my uncles, into not a, a sort of an orphanage until he was able to take them out, and then he took them out. But uh, my mother was 12 years old at the time. So, but they never, only one of my uncles spoke to my, um, my cousin about the catastrophe. Mm -hmm. He was right after my mother, but he had uh, an amazing mind. He remembered everything, mm. everything. So he was. He told a lot of stuff to my my, my cousin mm. in in Greece because they baby. He used to babysit for them. So oh. when they'd come home, he would tell them all the stories that he remembered. Wow! And he remembered just about everything. And I was looking for him when we went in Greece when we went to Turkey, and I couldn't find him. He, you know, I called my aunt and she. I don't know where he is. He's at the Cafe Neo. You know, that the, I said, okay, Thea, but uh, we, never, uh, we never got together to ask him what, they, what it was like to see what, it, what he knew about the village, Philadelphia. It was called Alashahir. It's still Alashahir, but on, it's Philadelphia. It's one of the seven churches. That's where my parents came from. That was where they married? No, my grandfather was married there. Your grandfather was married there. My mother was married in Athens. She was, um, but um, my father became um, a widower and went to, to Greece and met my mother and they got married and he brought her over. But originally both families were from Philadelphia? Originally both families were from there, except my father left in 1915 and went to Greece. And uh, from there he came to America and brought his whole family here. He had, no, he had all his siblings here. Five, uh, five brothers. There were five brothers, he, and his mother, and his mother is buried in Woodside, uh -huh. 
one of the, what's that New York, Long Island. But uh, I, I, I don't know how to find her, but I think one of my nephews might know where she is. Mm. <clears throat> and your, your mother was also from Philadelphia. When did, yeah. when did her family go to Smyrna? 1922, in September, with the, when the uh, Turks started slaughtering the, uh, the Greeks, the Armenians, and the Jews. So they were the Assyrians too. They were driven out of Philadelphia. They were driven out. They left. They had to leave. If they stayed there, they would be killed. Yeah. So they left. And my grandmother was in the hospital at the time, mm -hmm. and she uh, she passed away. In the, in the uh, my my grandfather took her into the hospital. The ship took them to Hears, mm -hmm. and she was in the hospital there, and she passed away there. Oh. And uh, then my parents went to. Athens, not my parents, my mother's family, mm -hmm. went to Athens and they, they got a prosvitikospiti, like a, a house, not a house really, an apartment. That one was not big enough for seven people. It was for the <coughs> refugees. It was a refugee. And um, they moved to Philadelphia, and they call it now in the outside of Athens, now Philadelphia, New Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So the original Philadelphia came from Turkey because it's one of the seven churches. So that's how did they get from when they were escaping? How yeah. did they get from? They walked. My grandfather carried my grandmother. They walked about a hundred miles. Oh my God! To Chisme, and from there they took the ship to to Hears. They all walked, and my grandfather tied all the kids together, so that he wouldn't lose any of them, mm. and uh, took my grandmother out of the hospital in in, uh, in Zmirny. And then they went to uh, to. Uh, oh, she to started in the hospital. And Izmir is uh, Smyrna. Smyrna. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where the hospital was. Uh, it was supposedly the French hospital. I understand. It would have been burned down. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, everything was yeah, burned it was down. Yeah, everything was burned down. What was happening in Philadelphia that was driving them out? The Kamalists had already moved in because they were. I read that they were going through and cleansing. They yes. called it cleansing the villages. Yeah. yeah of the infidels by just yeah. wiping out and then burning everything to the ground. And is, the, is that what they happened did. to Philadelphia? Yeah. yeah, I don't know whether they burned the house down or not, mm. but they left. They, uh, they walked all the way to Chesmeh uh, uh, to get their ship. They, they, the, the port, it was made in a port, yeah. which was burnt. Now whether it had burnt or it was burning or it burned after they left, I don't really know. So they escaped, they escaped. right into another conflagration yeah. mess. Yeah, they walked to, to, so they could take the ship to go to Greece. Yeah. They were Greeks that were born in Turkey generation after generation. Yeah. So, you know. And what was, was historically Greek yes. enclaves before? Well, there's a lot of ar um, archaeological things that are Greek mm. that are in Turkey. Yeah. And uh, when we went to uh, Philadelphia, my husband and I went to Philadelphia in Turkey. Mm. And there was uh, a church there that uh, was St. Jacob, Ayos Yakovos. Mm -hmm. And it was huge pillars, but it was, it was all down. It was, uh, it, it was knocked down. Mm -hmm. And I had taken a picture of it and showed it to my uncle, the one that remembered everything through Evangelo. And uh, he said, oh, my God. And he did not read English. Or, you know, he read Greek, of course, mm -hmm. but it wasn't in Greek. And he said, oh, that's the church of Ayosiakov. He remembered the, the church, even though it was uh, t uh, knocked down. Mm 
mm. and it was like a, a, a very bad. It was, uh, he remembered the name of it. And then we went to uh, Kula, where my grandmother came from. Yeah. She married my grandfather and they went to Philadelphia. But my grandmother was originally from Kula, which is like, um, I'd say 12 miles north of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Another little mountain with a village. And we went to the Greek Mahala, which is Mahalas' neighborhood in Turkish. And we, there was a church there, and we knew it was a church. It had a cross on top. It was all brick. No cracks, no nothing. The inside was destroyed, completely destroyed. Mm -hmm. Cats, dogs, kids were playing in there. But all around that church were huge, beautiful homes. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the homes that we went to. Happened to be my grandmother's that we did not know. Oh, wow. And when I got to Athens, my uncle told me, because there was a huge rock in back of the building, back of the house, where the root cellar was. Mm -hmm. And when I went to Athens, one of my uncles who had passed away had told them that he used to go to Yaya's house all the time. And there was a huge rock in back. But we didn't know that that was the house. Until and we I never see. went back. Wow. But, you know, but you got to see it. Yeah, oh. yeah. I have pictures, actually, I'll show them to you. Oh. But of the houses, the houses that were there and the church. Oh. And the church, yeah, the church is tended to be completely... It, it's com it can't, you know, it's completely destroyed, except the walls are still standing. Yeah. You could see where the altar was because it's way out, it's a little bit out. Mm -hmm. You knew it was a church and it had a crest, still has the cross on top. Wow. But the kids are, you know, playing it. Yeah. And dogs and cats, whatever. Yeah. Wow, that must have been hard. Yeah, it was hard. We tried to find out if anybody knew my grandmother. There was a woman there, but she didn't remember anything. She was an older woman. She didn't remember anything. Mm. So it's been like wiped out. As far as the Turkish government is concerned, the Holocaust that happened, happened then. Yeah. They don't acknowledge it. To the oh, Greeks, that was their purpose to wipe out everything they. They wipe out all the uh, the infant, the uh, Christians. When your family left Philadelphia, was there was there a whole bunch of people that all traveled together? Pro I don't know that I do not know, but I know that they walked a hundred miles. About a hundred miles. If you look on the map, from Philadelphia, to the port of Smyrna, it was, it's about a hundred miles. That's incredible. Yeah. And, yeah. and with seven children. Seven children. Did your mother ever talk about it? No, not really. Too painful. She, and they were, my mother's family was very wealthy in Turkey. Mm. Each kid had money, uh, uh, gold uh, coins attached to them mm -hmm. with a belt or whatever they had it, and jewelry. My grandmother had a lot of jewelry. Mm. And um, the only thing my mother salvaged through my washing my uh, my grandfather's pants were two rings. The others were just everything just disappeared. I don't know what he did with them, whether he sold them to live or what he did. I have no idea, and my mother didn't. But she didn't give him back those rings. She only she kept them, and I didn't find out about the. I knew one ring was like a nail, with a ruby and diamonds all around it. She kept that. During the war, we were stuck in Greece, my mother and I, and um, she sold 
everything. And she also sold the other ring, which was a circle with diamonds on it. And as a matter, we were in Piruelias, and I went to the antique store there, and there was that ring. But I didn't know at that time that that's the type of, it, it might not, not have been my grandmother's, but it was that. It was a round with diamonds on it. Just like it. But I didn't buy it because it was too much money at the time. So I, can, we couldn't, I couldn't afford it. I should have bought it because it came to me by chance. It might not have been my grandmother's. It might have been somebody else's. Yeah. But my grandfather sold just about everything. And the only thing that did survive was that ring, that uh, ruby with the diamonds around it. I can only imagine <coughs> leaving your home, losing your wife, having all of these children, yeah. leaving everything behind except what you can carry, yeah. that it must have been such a struggle for him to support yeah. the family. And he was a young man. He was a young man. The, I told you, my oldest uncle was 17, the youngest was two. Yeah. Every two years, kind of, they had a, a, a child. Mm. So I understand she was a very, a very pretty woman. Mm. My grandfather was handsome, mm. tall. They're, all my, my mother's family was six feet. Wow. They were all, my mother was five, five, nine. That's tall Greeks. Yes. And they were all really tall. tall. Yeah. yeah. My, if, if I show you the picture, you'll see how tall he was. Wow. They were. They were very tall. Um, but, uh, you know, it didn't, they all survived yeah. the war, everything, you know, the Second World War. Yeah. And uh, they're all gone now. Oh, my, yeah. my. My mother's siblings and my mother, they're gone. But uh, they lived a long life. My grandfather lived to 102. Wow. Yeah. After all, the, all that deprivation. After and all that, yeah. That's but he had my, one of my uncles taking care of him. He never married, and he took care of my grandfather. Wow. So, anyway. I know every time Smyrna comes up, you get very emotional. So even if your mother didn't talk about it, you know, I, I've talked a little about on the podcast about generational trauma, what our parents go through something really terrible and yeah. it imprints yeah. on us well, because we know that they suffer. Those were our parents. My, we, were, uh, we moved to Greece when I was about two and a half, three years old. My father had gotten sick and we moved to Greece. So twice in, a, in her lifetime, my mother had trauma from the war. Yeah. Because we got stuck there, my mother and I. My father came back here uh, to America to settle things, and, my and then war broke out, and there was no ships or anything. So that's where my mother sold all her jewelry, yeah. and she took off my cross, and she said to me, before we go back to America, I will buy you a cross. Yeah. And she did. And she did. But uh, I don't know how we survived. You know, we really, uh, she, she was a great person. She was a general or a colonel. Uh, during the war. So, anyway. It, it must have brought up a lot of difficult memories for her yes. to have to go through this again, yeah, again. With, her, with her own child under, yeah. and of course the Nazis were about as much fun as no. the Turks were. No. Oh. Well, they were, if, if they had a German soldier that died, if he was killed, they would round up um, 40 young men and shoot them. Oh my God. This is, I was little. I came back to America when I was nine, yeah. in 1946. So you, you do the math, you know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs>
still young at heart. <laughs> what else do you want to tell us about Smyrna? Uh, I really don't. Uh, well, I, we went with my husband to uh, Philadelphia. I told you that. Mm -hmm. And we went up to the way to the top of the mountain. And my uncle used to say it was all pefka, uh, um, pine trees. Mm -hmm. And they were still there. Wow. And you could see down below where the Turks kept all the, the they, they were spreading out the, uh, uh, the to make raisins, the uh, uh, stafilia, oh, the grapes, the grapes yeah. to make raisins. And you could see the, the um, you could see all the, the, the sheets that were on the floor, on the ground, mm -hmm. with the raisins on top of them. Like the vineyards? The vineyards mm -hmm. from the top of the mountain, and you couldn't see the end of it when my grandfather had. Mm -hmm. That much, that, that... Well, that much. was originally your grandfather's property. Yeah, was well, it, was, it, it was down from mm -hmm. the, the, the mountain. It yeah. was in, in, in the field. Mm -hmm. But that's, we never got there. Uh, I wish we had. I, and we, I wanted to go back. But um, I, we never did because the way the things are now, I wouldn't go back. No, know? things are. We've got a nationalist um, in charge again yeah. in um, Turkey, uh, which isn't a good thing. And that um, <clears throat> hostility. I see. I see some of the hostile comments sometimes on social media because yeah. I follow um, Greek genocide and yes. I follow all these different who will like yeah. post and say on this day this happened and yeah. sometimes. Are, are Turkish persons coming in and making really horrible comments. But of course, those are crazy nationalists, just like we have ours yes. that make horrible comments yeah. on American social media. Yeah. But, but Well, one time um, in, I don't remember the year, but it was 75 years of the, of the from 1922. Uh, and and uh, they had a, a little uh, exhibit, or not an exhibit, a little uh, uh, talk and stuff in Washington, D.C., right by the Capitol building underneath. Mm -hmm. And there were a few people in church that were from Asia Minor. Mm -hmm. And they all decided we should go. So there were six of us. It was Cal Janakakis and her husband, uh, Tom, I think, uh, Jeff and, and uh, Catherine Javellis, and my husband and I. Mm -hmm. And we drove there. It was like a presentation. Yeah, presentations mm -hmm. of stuff. And uh, she said, just park right there. Don't worry about the car. And we parked very close to the Capitol building. And we went there. And there was a, um, a journalist from, uh, who was Armenian. And she said, to my Jewish friends, I want to tell you that the Holocaust did not begin with you. It began in 1922 with the Greeks, the Armenians, the Assyrians, and the Jews. Yeah. That's where it began. So it, it was very interesting. There were a lot of talks. People talked. Yeah. And, uh, we had, it was really very, very interesting to listen to these people. It was 75 year anniversary that they had. And I was really very disappointed this year that it was 100 years. In 2022, yeah. 2022, yeah. that nobody, absolutely nobody, except the Greek program had something and the Greek paper, the uh, National Herald. But I was at Asbury Park, not Asbury Park, Ocean Grove. Mm -hmm. And it was the bishop, Albinophoros, mm -hmm. and the archbishop, the Albinophoros, the archbishop, and the bishop Apostolos there. Mm -hmm. And they made their speech, didn't mention anything about the Holocaust of 1922 in Asia Minor. I was very, very disappointed about that. My knowledge of it, 
was really small. I was aware that things happened. My mother's aunts would mm -hmm. say things, but I didn't really understand the context of it. Yeah. I learned more from you over the years hearing things than I had ever learned anyplace else until I started reading and doing the research. And I yeah. know as I was doing the research, I had to keep putting it aside. And I would yeah. pick it up and I would have to put it because it was so upsetting. It yes. was just so devastating. It was like re reading about the, the Jewish Holocaust, which I did yeah. in high school and in yeah. college, I wrote the Jewish, it was the same thing. It was a very gut-wrenching, disturbing. Yeah. And I yeah. noticed that a lot of the Greeks around us will occasionally make comments or something, but, but we don't seem to be remembering it and passing it on, the, all of the information. It, 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 I mean, I'm no kid, no. and I feel like it wasn't sufficiently passed on to me. Yeah. And I have found now that there are some people younger than I am who are posting things on social media, which I was very heartened to see, and I learned some from them as well. But why do you think the Greeks are sort of sidestepping? There's, there's the, the generational trauma. People are still suffering. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. They're not, and, and, and Greeks are very smart. They really are. Mm. But they're not pushing the issue so much to get to get a, a, a pardon, like that we did it, an acknowledgement that they did do that. Is that but political? It might be. It might be. Maybe it was political for the bishop not to say anything also yeah. at the time. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, but I really felt there was a lot of people there, and I felt that, and it was Zoomed, yeah. and I thought that was a perfect opportunity, and I was waiting for them to say something, nothing, absolutely mm -hmm. nothing. And that's when it was the anniversary of 100 years, in September, 1922. Yeah. I did a memorial for my grandmother, 100 years, mm -hmm. at our church. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It's history that needs to not be lost. It's the, the Jewish kids that I grew up with, I can remember the movies and whatever. If I was there playing with my friend, she'd sit us both down and she'd tell us about it. Yeah. And it has gone very well down generationally. Yes. Yeah. People... It hasn't so much with the Greeks, and I, I know some of this is probably political. I don't know how much of it is the suffering to the point of I don't want to talk about it kind of a thing. I know there are a lot of Holocaust survivors who, in very old age, finally started speaking yeah. about what well, happened to them. Yeah. Um, I've been finding news articles all over the place written by uh, Brits and Americans and Japanese who witnessed. Well, the Japanese actually was the first ship they threw out all their silk, they, mm. they, all the silk, to put the uh, refugees on the ship. They threw out all their cargo that they had just to save these people, and they did. They were the first ones, and they, there was an article that they acknowledged, that the Greeks acknowledged that and, and said thank you to them after a certain amount of time. But the Japanese were the first ones to, to aid the refugees from Asia Minor. The ones that were being driven onto the docks yeah. um, as yeah. all the killing and the fires are going on. Yeah. yeah, I understand that in the bay there were British, French, yeah. American, Italian yes. ships, yeah. Navy yeah. Uh, there, but they were supposed to be neutral. Yeah. Um, neutral to what? Killing? Well, this is it, as they were just sitting there watching, even as people were throwing themselves into well, the water. Well, I give credit to the Japanese. Oh, my. I, that was amazing yeah. that this was a large merchant ship, I read, that yeah. they had 
thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of yes. material that they were going to be selling and, right. and just, and as they you threw said, it over. and threw it overboard and threw it so over. they could save yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, we that is over. truly showing humanity and, yes. and the conscience that yes. some of the others yeah. initially yeah, didn't did. yeah. show. Um, really shocking. And when you think about it, a hundred years ago, yeah. that's really not that long ago. This no. is This is supposed to be civilized society. And as we've become <laughs> a civilized society, we have the, the Greek Holocaust, the Armenian Holocaust, the Jewish yes. Holocaust. Yeah. And we're watching more horrible things happening now. No. It's awful. It really is. And we have to, to know our history. And a, a lot of what I keep hearing is, oh, we shouldn't have to feel guilty for what happened before we live. But that's, that's not the point. The point is acknowledging, yes, we had crappy leaders. Yes. I mean, look at the ding-dongs we had running this country and driving all the the Native Americans off their lands and then parceling it out to whoever wanted. That's very much like what yeah. happened yeah. To, the, to the Greeks, where yeah. it was like, wipe them out, kill them, or drive them off these death marches. Well, you know why the Ahepa was reformed? American, Hellenic, uh, oh God. Educational. Educational, progressive educational, uh, because the, in, down in the south with the Greeks, it wasn't only the Greeks, all the other people, uh, the Ku Klux Klan killed them. Mm. They really did. So they formed a HEPA. A HEPA was formed because of that. To educate people. To educate people yeah. and to be uh, close together. Yeah. As, as it really to, should be yeah. everybody who continues to be attacked or whose um, history of, of suffering and being yeah. has not been acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. And America is as responsible as everybody for this. Well, and I believe that if the Turkish, Turkish people are fine. Turkish people are kind of like our cousins, whatever, for the most part. It's the leaders of all these countries and the greed. Greed. Money. Right. It's Follow all about the, the money. money. Because that's how the Greeks got pushed back out again anyway. Yeah. Is the agreement first, okay, you're all going to be fine. They sided with the wrong side during World War I. So the Greeks are going to come out on top, and then, oh, never mind, they're giving us the oil field, so mm -hmm. you better run for your lives. Yeah. Well, and this is a history, just as American history is not really being taught, nobody's no. history is really being taught. I, I'm very disappointed that the schools do not go into the deep, the, the more deeper end of World War II. Mm. They just do a, maybe a little bit of, a, of it in history sharing our stories because I think everybody can because of the suffering that each community has gone through at the hands of whoever had yeah. the power ahead yeah. of them and I mean not that Greek civilization way back when there were assets way back thousands of years ago doing things to people too as well but you like to think that as we reach into the 20th and 21st centuries that society is evolving and moving ahead and maybe it's just that we're getting more evidence of these stories yeah. that are happening today, when back in the day, maybe not as much. Yeah. But um, is there any message that you would like to leave with people who maybe didn't know anything about Smyrna or what happened? Well, I don't know if the Greek school teaches anything about it. I have no idea. I don't either. And uh, actually, there are many books. There's um, Paradise Lost. That's an excellent it's book. It's an excellent book. There's a whole bunch of books that people can read about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they don't, when you, you approach a person in America that's not a Greek or 
does not agree. They don't realize what happened in 1922. They, it's like wiped out. It's like wiped out. Yeah. So uh, the only thing is that the, the books that they have, the, the uh, Paradise Lost is an excellent book to read. And uh, actually Horton uh, was the, um, is he the ambassador? I don't remember. Uh, yeah. And he, he wrote, a, I think, I'm not sure if he wrote it. I have it inside. Um, it, it's excellent book to tell you what went on. Mm -hmm. But people uh, don't read history books that much anymore. Yeah, and, you know? and we should be because it, it, everything sort of in, interconnects as well for so many different countries that right now are, we were talking about the British Museum, Yeah, um, oh. so many people are so angry at the Brits and the colonization and everything and it's like they basically affected almost every single country in the world through colonization and through uh, trying to get ahead and that yeah. includes Greece and what happened in 1922. Yeah. I love England. There will always be in England, and I love England, but again, it's acknowledging what happened before. We yeah. had crappy leaders then, and we yeah. acknowledge that this is what they did, yeah. and now we're going to do better I and give people back the stuff that was stolen out of their countries well, in order to put in our museums. Well, they, if, you, if, you, uh, give, if the British Museum gives everything back to where it belongs, they might as well shut the museum down. That's their problem. Yes. That's their problem. But they don't, they don't want to give everything. The Parthenon marbles really belong to Greece. Yeah. They complain that we didn't have a good museum. They have an excellent museum, better than the British Museum. Mm. Much better than the British Museum. It is absolutely lovely. And state of the art. Really. It, it's, it's, it, and it depicts the Parthenon. First, second, third, and fourth floor is where the, what the par, what, how the Parthenon is. That's what that museum is made of. And you see underneath also, they didn't take anything out. They, when they were digging, they found stuff. Mm -hmm. You could see it through glass. It is an excellent museum to visit. And it really is. should be there. And you can yeah. look. It's not oh. far from the actual Parthenon no. where it's, you can see the Parthenon. And yeah. then wouldn't it be nice to be able yes. to see yeah. the marbles that came off yeah. of it? Yeah. yeah. And we do have an excellent museum to put them in. Mm -hmm. They finally brought in the Cariactides. They brought them into the museum. And I think they put um, statues there, you know. But uh, some of that stuff, because of the, uh, uh, it's over 2,000 years old. Yeah. The uh, cars, the capsaeria, uh, the, all these things that happen, yeah. it has worn out a few things. Yeah. Yeah. And then now uh, they woke up, they are fixing it. Uh, when we went in 1973 to Greece, my cousins took us to the Parthenon, and we went, at that time, you could go inside the, the Parthenon oh. and walk around it. And uh, then my husband came in August. We were there in July. When he came in August, they closed it off. Nobody could walk in there. Ever again? Ever again. Yeah. And they didn't, they don't let anyone walk. And it's all um, fence, not fence, but roped around that nobody uh, goes inside the, inside the Parthenon anymore. Nobody does. All those feet wearing, wearing the ground out. But also, there's been like a lot of things in the news lately where people have been carving their initials into yeah. ancient Yeah. Well, that's artifacts, it. So. Yeah. You, you know, you have all that. Don't do so, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's modern. You know, uh, my mother-in-law used to say, "God bless her," and Teosuresdina, God bless her soul. Uh, there were some people from one of the mountains in uh, in Greece, in northern Greece. 
that were like, their nose was stuck up in the air. And I said to her, why are the girls like that? She says, they're drinking um, contaminated water. <laughs> what? So I'm beginning to think that this whole country is drinking contaminated water of the things that are happening out there. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Contaminated but, something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But uh, brain cells are dying off. Yeah. Yeah. But um, well, I I hope that. Uh, no, thank you because I know even talking about it is very difficult. And yeah. It makes you very emotional. I know my reading about it, I didn't have family that, everybody was in the California or, or, or way up north in the mountains. I did have ex extended family or people married into the family who came more for those reasons, but they would not talk about it. Yeah. But just reading about the, the human yeah. suffering in yeah. general yeah. Is, was, is so it, difficult. And I really appreciate your sharing with us. Oh, uh, my pleasure. Thank my you. pleasure. Bottom line, nationalists, bad. If they're Turkish, Greek, American, they don't care about people, only their own power, and they will twist the facts to suit themselves and incite people to violence. Helen mentioned two excellent books for a more comprehensive take on the destruction of Smyrna. They are Paradise Lost, 1922, The Destruction of Islam, City of Tolerance by Giles Milton, and The Blight of Asia, an account of the systematic extermination of Christian populations by Mohammedans, this is dated, and of the culpability of certain great powers with the true story of the burning of Smyrna by George Horton. He was American consul to Smyrna for nearly 10 years over two terms until 1922 and also held positions as an American representative to the Ottoman Empire in the late 19th century. Thanks for listening. Greek Like Me is a South Greek production. Many thanks again to Helen Bardakis, for sharing some of her family's stories of escaping the purges in Anatolia, which included Smyrna. This episode was researched, written, and narrated by me, your host, Pamela Diotis Wood. Our producer, photographer, and post-production editor is Douglas John. Visit our website at stealthcreek.com for resources, photos, links, and more. Please rate, like, and subscribe. It helps us get noticed so we can keep making content about Greeks and Greek culture. Find Greek Like Me on Facebook or on Instagram at Greek underscore like underscore me. See you next time. Yes. Yeah.